This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I get to share with you a conversation that I had with Srinivas Rao of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. I can't say enough how much that is one of the best podcasts that is out there in the interview style space and he's been doing it for a long time. It is a great show. I think it comes across a little bit that I look up to the way that he does his show and what he does with his show. So if you have never checked it out, you should. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode at this link, beyondthetodolist.com slash 154. In this conversation, we talk about getting over the resistance that we have inside ourselves to do the work that we need to do, want to do, have to do. We talk about priming yourself to do the best work that you can do, rituals, routines even that you can put in place to get the distractions out of the way prior to the time that you sit down and do that work, but also the importance of sitting down and doing the work regardless and training that muscle. I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you're going to love it as well. Before we get into that conversation, I want to say thank you to AWeber for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. AWeber is a leading email marketing platform for growing businesses and entrepreneurs. You may be feeling resistance against some of the things that you know you need to do next to grow your business, to grow the marketing of whatever it is that you are working on, that you create, that you work with, that you do online, like creating that course that you've always wanted to create, or recording your first YouTube video or podcast episode, creating your first Facebook ad to get the word out about that podcast or that YouTube video or that course, and even creating shareable images or getting people on your subscription list so that they know what it is you are working on and doing and can get it. AWeber has an awesome free online resource and landing page with free videos and downloadable checklists to get you up and running to quickly launch these important marketing tactics. These checklists are something that you can download and work off of to get support that you need to get started. To get those free resources, all you need to do is go to aweber.com slash to-do. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash T-O-D-O. You owe it to yourself. You really do owe it to yourself to go grab that free resource to get you started on that next thing that you need to do to push your work forward, to be done or seen by those that you need it to be seen by. Thanks again to AWeber for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Now enjoy this conversation with Srinivas Rao. All right, this week it is my privilege to welcome Srinivas Rao 
from Unmistakable Creative. Welcome to the show. Thanks. How's it going? It's going well. In fact, so it's not going well. I'll be blunt <laughs> and I'll be honest that like as we were talking in pre-show, like I've said yes to too many things and you were like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got some stuff to say about that. So let's just go there real quick. So much stuff to say about that, right? Yes. So the thing that, that we really – we do is, is we say yes in very small ways throughout our day. Like you say – you know, you said yes to too many things. We say yes constantly to the smallest things and we don't realize just how much saying yes to all of these small things actually detracts from our essential priorities. Whereas if you say yes, you know, to a thousand small things, you have the ability to focus all your energy with intensity on the handful of things that you've said yes to. And it's a really simple idea. So let's say, for example, somebody invites you to participate in something or somebody asks you to do a phone call. So for example, you know, in the last few weeks, people have asked me to do phone calls, most of which the, the thing that took place during the phone call could have been handled with two email exchanges, which really, that, that annoyed me. And it was kind of like, well, this was unnecessary. Why is it that we did this? We could have had this exact outcome by not ever getting on the phone and you've effectively wasted somebody else's time. So in that case, it was my fault for not being willing to say no and say, please just send me an email with the details. But the thing that happens, right, even though those things take a very small amount of time, they actually hurt us because they take away mental energy. In fact, I think this quote from Cal Newport really sums it up. He wrote about this on his blog. I saw it. It showed up in my pocket reader. So when you turn your attention from one target to another, the original target leaves a residue that reduces cognitive performance for a non-trivial amount of time to follow. Most of us don't realize just how harsh that you know little saying yes to things is. And of course, it affects all of our work later throughout the day. So that's what I have to say about it. That's awesome. And I have to say, Cal's amazing. What I heard you saying, especially when that residue, like I, I, mm-hmm. I looked at my fingers and I kind of put my thumb and my two forefingers together and kind of rubbed them together and thought, Ugh, like it's sticky. Like that last task is now sticking to this task in terms mm-hmm. of the attention that I gave it. And it's like that whole thing where you say, you know, multi- multitasking is a myth. And mm-hmm. it really is. And it's not that you're switching from one task to the – it's not that you're doing multiple tasks all at once. It's that you're trying to switch from task to task to task frequently, and all you're mm-hmm. really doing is adding sludge to the whole works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that, that's the thing is that he even says, he's like, even if you can't go more than 10 to 15 minutes without a check, basically – um, you're putting yourself with this self-imposed handicap. You know, I, I write a thousand words every morning and I have some pretty rigid rituals and routines that I follow to be able to do this because yeah. I know myself well enough to know that I'm prone to giving into distractions. So I have every imposition imaginable put in. Like I turned off text message notifications the other day, which probably pisses a few people off <laughs> because they'll st- send me text, you know, yesterday and I've now stopped responding and I'm like, okay, great. So you're not going to get a response from me till tomorrow. It's going to seem like I'm ignoring you. But really, I realized, I was like, okay, I'm in the middle of working on an outline for a second book, which happens to actually be very much about the subjects that you and I are talking about. And so I thought, okay, you know what, if I turn on, I'm very good at this point, no social media apps, nothing on my phone. But I was like, there's one other thing that's this last sort of straw, and it's these text message notifications. Well, what if I turn them off? What would happen? And what happens, I think, is that as you train yourself to stay focused for longer periods of time, you're able to get into deeper and deeper states of flow. And you know the, the interesting thing, Cal, Cal actually did a, a TEDx talk re- recently on this, which kind of reignited my interest in all of this. And he actually said that when you're able to do deep work, you actually get more done in less time because you're able to intensely focus on whatever it is that you're doing, unlike the sort of quick task shifting from one thing to another. Yeah, and, and, and I'll be honest, that is where, I think that is probably my biggest struggle these mm-hmm. days is I'll feel like, 
okay, I've got this half hour set aside and, and see, I've already given it away. I'm like only a half hour on this one thing. Mm-hmm. Like I probably should be doing at least an hour plus and just dig through and get the whole thing done versus leave it half done after half an hour to an hour. And mm-hmm. I ultimately I could go into that a little bit further, but I'm not going to, because this, I want to talk to you. I don't want to give my, this is, not, <laughs> this is not a counseling session for me. I know that you've come up with a bunch of stuff that you're using practicality-wise in your yeah. life to basically create space externally and internally in your life uh-huh. and even motivation-wise. And I want to walk through that, but I want to back up for a second. I want to go back to nobody knows you. Let's pretend nobody knows you, even though right. you're the one doing the unmistakable creative podcast with 600-plus episodes and the amazing artwork. So – you got here only because you've been doing it for so long and mm-hmm. so consistently and showing up. And that's kind of the theme I want to touch on with you. Yeah. So where did you start off at, though? Okay, so we'll get to where did I start off. But I want to address the, the you know, nobody knows me thing because I, I always find that amusing. Um, I think, you know, if you, if you look at it on sort of a grander scale, in, in, in the larger scheme of things, I walk down the street, I'm just a normal schmuck. I walk into my Starbucks, nobody says anything to me. It's not like, you know, I, uh, and, and, and we think that these people that are internet famous uh, are, are, you know, celebrities. The, the idea that nobody knows you is, is, is kind of amusing. So, you know, what I would say first off is, is that that's just something to keep in mind um, <clears throat> in this process. So, you know, I, I think we, we tend to put people on pedestals. But what happens is that when we put people on pedestals, we, one, we, we, we kind of, you know, take away our own power. Like we give our own power away in that process. And we hold them to impossible standards because inevitably they're human, they're fallible, they're breakable, and they will at some point fall because we all do. Uh, so that I had to say before we, we get into, you know, kind of where we start. So, you know, for me, it began right after I graduated from business school. Um, but the thing is that I've always been a writer and always been a creator. I've just never been consistent about it. You know, there was a time when we didn't have blogs and we didn't have social media. We didn't have all these tools at our disposal. It wasn't as easy to share your work and share your work with the world. Uh, and so I started writing like literally right after I graduated from college. Right when I graduated from college, I wrote a 63-page typed single-spaced autobiography about my four years in college. And I wrote it in eight days. Why did I do that? I have no idea to this day. Maybe to find some semblance of greater meaning or purpose in, you know, a college experience that I found, you know, that let me down in so many ways. Fast forward to graduating from business school, uh, where in 2009, suddenly the internet is very different. You know, if you have ideas, you can share them with the world. Uh, Anybody can start a blog. And so I started a blog. The blog eventually led to a podcast uh, called Interviews with Up-and-Coming Bloggers. And that turned into Blogcast FM, which subsequently turned into Unmistakable Creative. But as you said, all of that is really seven plus years in the making at this right. point. Uh, you know, at, at this point, maybe 600 interviews. The, I think the, the thing that the, the Unmistakable Creative has taught me is the value of consistency and the value of showing up. And, you know, I've had a lot of really good examples to learn from. You know, I, you, you look at somebody like Seth Godin, okay, for however long, 10 plus years, there is a blog post every day. And the only way there's not going to be a blog post in Seth Godin's blog is if he's dead. That's pretty much the only reason you wouldn't see him post. And so I, I think that part of looking at this and understanding consistency is that we're in a real hurry to get whatever it is we want, right? If you look at sales pages for courses, hey, I'll teach you how to make six figures in six months. Uh, but but the thing is that what happens is in a world where you can be you know, rewarded 
falsely rewarded with sort of a dopamine-induced reward like likes on Facebook mm-hmm. with in an instant, we are incredibly impatient. So, you know, if you want to basically feel like you're accomplishing something, even though you're doing nothing, and you want to basically send surges of dopamine, you know, through your brain, just put up pictures of you and cute babies on Facebook. You'll get hundreds of likes. I know, because I do this every time I meet a friend who has a cute baby. And as a single guy, that's a useful, (laughs) you know, sort of thing to do. So, you know, all you have to do is look at some of the comments that people leave when I do that. It's hilarious. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't build a career taking pictures of babies and putting them on Facebook. You know, it might work in terms of getting you some this, some sort of you know false validation, but that's not how you're going to build something of value and something that's sustainable. So, in terms of of you know sort of how we tell the stories that we do, I think one of the things that I have mentioned over and over again is that everything I do is driven by my personal and innate curiosity. Like, I don't look at guests and think, oh, this person is famous, they'll make a good guest, they'll make the podcast downloads go up and will become you know, more well-known. Um, that's just never been my approach. And the reason that that's never been my approach is actually because I learned that lesson very early on, long before you know, everybody and their mother had a podcast. That was my thought process when I started the show. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, we'll interview all these famous people, they'll tweet every interview, and every interview will go viral. Uh, I, which, yeah, same here, same here. I guarantee you every podcaster who has started an interview-based show has had that thought. And the reason I, I figured that out in probably three months, I was like, it's not your guests that make the show, it's your listeners and the quality of the conversation that occurs. So one of the things that frequently happens with us is a lot of people who are our guests end up becoming our listeners because they've enjoyed the conversation so much. So we've been really lucky in, in that sense. And, you know, I mean, timing played a big role in this. So we can't discount the role of timing here. You know, you mentioned seven years. We had a big head start on sort of the world of podcasting. And you know what? There are people who started after us who surpassed us in terms of, of downloads and, and subscriber numbers and, and revenue. But at the end of the day, my goal was not to be like other people, but to create something distinctive. So that, I realize, is a long answer to your question. And we can go in any direction you want to take. Well, it. that's a perfect setup for the fact that I really love the fact that and, – and here's the thing. I want to as, – as much as this conversation is about you know, having, having you come on and talk about your book, it's, we're not going to talk about your book. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, but I do want to say, but you you just literally set up the best softball possible. Is well, so how do we become unmistakable? You know, you see where I'm going here. Yeah. That, uh, like you said, as a fellow podcaster, I can say with that I'm tracking right there with you that it's there are people who started after me four years ago mm-hmm. who have risen to greater heights in this and that and the other in different measurements than the measurement that I measure myself with. And that that's the measurement that I need to be the most important in focusing in on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How will you measure your success is a really, really um, big question, right? Uh, That's a question I think that if we're not careful, that can be the recipe for madness and insanity and and depression and all sorts of mental health issues. Um, And I know this firsthand right now because, you know, I had all these goals for this book and, you know, it didn't, especially because my, my previous self-published book sold 15,000 copies and we've come nowhere even close to that this time around. And, you know, I've, I've, it's taken me probably about a month to kind of make my peace with it and to say, okay, you know what, at the end of the day, I have a book that I'm proud of that, you know, Ryan Holiday said something to me in an interview. He said, there is a point at which your role in this process no longer is relevant. You've done what you can. Then it's kind of left up to the market. 
And, you know, if you base your happiness and your sense of satisfaction, your sense of fulfillment on something that is external that you have no control over, that's a recipe for disappointment. And you can listen to that and you can hear it and you can understand it intellectually. But I, I think to get it intuitively and in your bones, that to me is, is really the place that we all have to get to. And, you know, it's, it's understanding what causes you to, you know, go into modes of comparison and triggers and, and stuff like that. By, by really understanding your own psyche when it comes to this, you determine measures of success that allow you to actually do your work. Because so many of these sort of measures of success we're talking about are really, I mean, if you look at it, they're, in a lot of ways, they're what Stephen Pressfield calls resistance. They're just forms of comparison, comparing yourself to other people. And also, they're things that keep you from doing your work. So, you know, the, the example that I always love is people check their Google Analytics 100 times a day when they first start blogs. And it's like, well, checking your analytics isn't going to make them go up. You know? <laughs> so, you know, like there's value, of course, in measuring things. But when all you're doing is measuring things and not doing anything to change the measurement, there's no point to it. Cool. I didn't know that about the book and, and the status of, you know, how it's going or whatever, because that's just not something you think to ask a guest. It's like, so how's your book sales going? Like, that's one of yeah, those. Yeah, it's not we- doing terrible, but, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it hasn't sold anywhere near what the, the self published book did. But what I will say is that this book, for me, does something similar to uh, a reality check in terms of that comparison trap. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 was it's like a gut check and a mind check in a way, in that way that it says it's okay to do the work that you're trying to continually do better at doing that only you can do and stop stop looking at everybody's Facebook and Instagram posts and thinking I should be where they are now. Mm-hmm. They started cool. from after when I did. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting 
Supreme checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beyond. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, the, you know, like I said, you're, you're not, your goal isn't to be the best. It's to be the only at what you do, right? Because then the competition ceases to matter. So, I, you know, I've said this before. We often don't get included on sort of the list of the top, you know, entrepreneurial podcasts you should listen to or blah, 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 whatever lists. And, and you know, I'm, I'm actually happy about that because, you know, we're kind of in a league of our own and I'd rather be that way. Like I wasn't, my goal was never to compete with sort of the, the entrepreneurial world. I mean, and that was, you know, a big part of our shift on Mistakeable Creative was to get away from all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we knew it would come with its own set of challenges, you know, suddenly it was kind of like, okay, we have to, you know, like all the sort of people who wanted entrepreneurial content, a lot of them stopped listening. We lost a lot of listeners, but we gained so many more. And the ones we have are rabid fans of what we do. You aren't and you don't need to be a business podcast and neither do I because right. that's not the work that we're trying to do even though, as I know you, you know and I both know, that like we get tons of emails for people trying to get on our show mm-hmm. that, that have no idea that they've done no homework to see they are not a fit for this show. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting. So, you know, I, I, one of the things that I think, and I don't know if you do this too, like I, I actually pick all my own guests. Like there's no, yes, there are times where somebody reaches out and I'm like, Oh, I was, I wanted you anyway. Great. But yeah, for the most happens. part, no. Don't get me wrong. I, I do get people who pitch me and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is interesting. I'll, I'll take a look. Um, but, you know, the, there's like these services now that, you know, say, hey, we'll, we'll take care of your guest selection for you. I'm like, well, half the art in what I do is selecting the people I do. Why would I outsource that? That's half of what makes us, our show what it is. Uh, so that's, you know, that's something to think about. Um, but you're right. I mean, like we, we're, we're in this weird sort of middle ground in that we're not a business podcast, but yet a lot of people who are, are business owners listen to us, um, partially because that's where we came from. And the thing that I think really for me needs to be considered when we're talking about something like a podcast is that it's a very unique medium in which we're not just looking to consume information when we're listening to somebody. Listening is this very, very intimate thing. In fact, when we're listening to somebody, what we're hoping, I think, is to be entertained and to be moved emotionally, right? So think about music. Part of why we have this very intimate relationship with it is because it moves us emotionally. In fact, um, I'm going to pull up this quote, which I, I really, I think, in my mind, sums up what it is that really makes podcasting kind of unique in the way that it is and it, you know this is fresh on my mind because it's um it's part of the the upcoming book but this is from a tv show called touch uh where the main character is this little kid it's a Kiefer sutherland show that was on netflix never did very well but 
I love this quote because I think it just really sums up what you know we're trying to say here. In spite of all our communication technology, no invention is as effective as the sound of the human voice. When we hear a human voice, we instinctively want to listen in the hopes of understanding it. Even when the speaker is searching for the right words to say, even when all we hear is yelling or crying or singing, that's because the human voice resonates differently from anything else in the world. That's why we can hear a singer's voice over the sound of a full orchestra. We will always hear the singer no matter what else surrounds it. And, you know, to me, that sums up why it is that listening in particular is such a a different medium and story and, and stuff that moves us emotionally is such a critical part of it. We won't, but we could go into the whole like why podcasting's intimacy is. I think you just touched on it. Like it's exactly it's because we're listening to the human voice, mm-hmm. and and exactly. it's such a it, and it, and because it's become convenient to take it with us so much easier than it ever has been. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. I, I I feel like I was built for podcasting. Do you feel like that sometimes? <laughs> so <laughs> even though the, you're a the- writer too. So I'm a writer too, and the weird thing is I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Like people are always like, "Hey, what podcast do you listen to?" And I, I'm always kind of embarrassed or a bit shocked to say, "Well, not many actually. I don't listen to any of the popular podcasts. I hardly listen to any interview-based podcasts. Like I'll check into things every now and then, but podcasts strangely are not my preferred form of content. I I actually prefer reading books, <laughs> which is weird. Yeah. That's not so weird though, because I mean, if you're a writer, I mean, here's the thing: is you you enjoy doing the conversations. And recording them, but I feel like that's more you doing your writing research, right? Yeah. And then you take that and you take it into your writing and you sit and do your writing. Do you identify more with that? Do you identify more with being a writer than a podcaster? So let's talk about this. I I like that you brought up this question because it takes us into something much bigger, which is this idea of labels, right? Um, I don't necessarily identify with either one of those. Um, I don't like the idea of being identified with either one of those because I think labels limit your capacity. So if you look at what I do or what we do at Unmistakable Creative – the podcast is one one piece of a much bigger pie. Maybe you know I, I would say it's the biggest piece of the pie. Or or if you're thinking in terms of a hub and spokes, the podcast is the hub. But there's all these spokes that are also a part of what we do. So writing books is one of those spokes. Um, speaking is another one of those spokes. We've produced animated shorts based on the podcast. That's another spoke. So you've got all this stuff that comes about as a byproduct of the podcast. You know, Jason uh, Fried in his book um, Rework says, you know, it was either the, the, the 37 Signals guys wrote this book. I don't remember the exact quote that said, everything you do has byproducts, right? Um, like podcasts have transcripts and inside the transcripts there's potential ideas. So I, I think the the idea that we identify with any one of those labels actually limits what is possible for us. Um, so I would say I'm, I'm really every one of those things, you know, sort of multi-hyphenate. We're all three-dimensional whether we realize it or not. Interesting answer. I like that though because some people would say, well, you're a sm- – to me, they'd say, you're a social media guy. You're a podcaster. You're a productivity guy. And I'm like, I'm all of those and more. Mm-hmm. Like none yeah. of those – none of those or even all of them cu- cumulatively – uh, really capture me, and that's yeah. And again, that's, that that hits on the you know unmistakable. Like I'm still many more things than and and greater than the sum of just those parts. Yeah, and that's the thing that you know most people they kind of like. I want to be the you know sort of entrepreneurial podcast or whatever. Like, and it's kind of like, well, you know, there's no way you're going to be one thing. And do you really want to be one thing for the rest of your life? I mean, yeah, maybe you'll have a defining sort of ethos to this thing that you do. Like, unmistakable is this defining ethos, but it manifests in so many different ways. And to me, that's just a, a much more interesting way of going about your work. Do you feel like over the course of time, and and I 
I'm hoping the answer is yes, that <laughs> as time has gone on, you've been able to recognize the resistance and combat it with your tips and your tricks and your tools. I know that you wrote something just recently that I, that I loved, that it was all about like writing seminars where you said the more people mm-hmm. go to there and they're, they're trying to get the answers to all these questions that, that stop them from writing and not realizing that the, the spending time on those questions is them giving into the resistance. Yeah. So, so the answer is yes. I mean, I've, I've, I've had to train myself and I, I, I still have to work at it, you know? So maybe the perception is that I don't have bad days and that's not true. Just to, to give you an example, like currently that I'm dealing with, I've been working on an outline for my second book, you know, like I'm making progress, but I'm kind of like, why don't I feel the way I did the first time around? Like, I don't feel like, okay. And you know, the idea that, wait, how is this going to turn into a book? Like the very thing that the same sort of narrative that I had at the very beginning of the last book, I'm still wrestling with now, but I also know, okay, this is just part of the process. If I keep going and keep pushing and keep doing this thing, I will eventually turn the corner. Interesting. So you'd say yes. The answer is yes, but it's not that it's easy, but it's gotten no. It's not that it's not there. I still have to do all the same things that I had to do in the past to overcome all these issues. I think my awareness of them is maybe much more heightened than it was after writing a book. But um, yeah, I, I still have to put in all these impositions in place, right? And the more I put them in, the more I realize that I'm happier, I'm more productive, I'm, I'm you know, doing work that's more fulfilling. I'm kind of like, wow, I didn't spend all day screwing around on Facebook. But I have those days when I wake up in the morning and I'm kind of like, I just, I'm not feeling it. You know, it's not there. Like I've been sick the last few days too. That's, that hasn't helped. <clears throat> here's, the, here's the funny thing. Somebody once told me that often what we write about and what our work is a manifestation of is the things that we are challenged with the most. You know, so that, that, you know, I think is a probably a best, best way to sum up this part of our conversation is I write about these subjects because they're my own demons that I'm battling, you know, like, but like I said, that, that writer's workshop blew my mind because I, I sat and listened for five hours to people ask questions and I wanted to strangle them. None of the questions you're asking are going to solve that problem right there. Yeah. So you've got to show up, you've got to sit down and make yeah. yourself do it. And we come up with all these excuses there is this element to it where it's like you just got to sit and do the work, but there's also that there are optimal ways there, – there are ways to optimize your focus and your attention yep. in terms of when you sit down to do that work that there's going to be less resistance or not that there's less resistance, but that you're fully aware of the resistance, but that you can then have enough courage to plow through it and just do it anyway. The only thing that really defeats it is the actual doing of the thing, right? You can do all these things to prepare for defeating resistance prior to the work, but the, thing, well, the one thing that actually defeats the resistance is the work itself. And honestly, there's no, there's no silver bullet for that. No. It, it's literally a, you just you, you leap and you do it, and then the next time you, you have already, you've, got the, you've got that experience of, oh, I already leaped. I can do this again. I've done it before. I can do it again. And then you continue to do it. Yeah, is that, exactly. I mean, is that, I'm not a writer, but I imagine that's what that's like when it comes down to sitting down to write. I know yeah. that that's similar, though, when you sit down to do a podcast, although it's easier because you've already set an appointment and somebody's showing up. Right, you know? right. Like, totally. It's, it's different in, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, you know, as you do it more and more, the other thing that happens is you start to build momentum and you start to build habits. You build, you know, it's almost like muscle memory, right? It's muscle memory gets triggered. So you're suddenly like, okay, it's this time, this day, 
the, like my journal is right here, my pen is right here, that it means it's time to write. Like, so the moment I walk into this room that I'm in, I know at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's time to write. From 6 until 10, like I don't have anything on my calendar other than writing time. Yeah. Well, and you talk about this. You've got a million medium posts out there. I know that you've talked about designing your days. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways that you've designed your day to help yourself be stronger when it comes up to that resistance? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you two that I, I think are particularly practical and useful. So, you know, if you're a podcaster or if you're somebody who schedules meetings with other people often, one of them is using a scheduling tool. Like, there's a few of them out there. There's like meeting once. And of course, the thing is that I think when you use these scheduling tools, the one thing you have to be mindful of is being respectful of other people's schedules because you're asking them to schedule according to your schedule, which is why anytime I send an email and say, hey, if none of the times that are available here work for you, let me know and I will work around your schedule. So one thing I figured out was that I was having a lot of trouble because I, I'm an avid surfer. And the unfortunate thing about being a surfer is that you're kind of at the mercy of what the conditions are doing. So if you know you happen to be scheduled on a day with a bunch of appointments, the surf picks up, you're screwed. And so I, I realized I was not getting nearly enough water time in, which was driving me nuts. And I thought, there's got to be a way around this. And I, I realized, okay, wait a minute. I'm the one who's making the schedule available to people maybe – I should have the schedule set up so that it's one week on, one week off. So Monday through Friday, one week, I have availability for interviews. The next week, I have no availability at all. And it's been amazing how well that's worked because now, basically, people will pick for my on weeks. And and then my on weeks, I'm busy. Like my on weeks, I'm like, you know, four or five interviews. And then my off weeks are great because during the off weeks, I can surf and I can write and I can focus on my books and I can focus on getting the podcast out. So that has been a big help in terms of sort of designing days. The next one I think really is using tools that allow you to block distractions, tools like Hey Focus, Rescue Time, you know, stuff like this. And one of the things that I do is I block all these distractions the night before when I shut down my computer. So that way when I wake up in the morning, there's not even an option to do any of these things. Oh, um, interesting. Because, so, all right, walk me through this because this is something I know I read you uh, you wrote about and I was like, I don't know if I understand fully how you set up distractions not happening the next morning unless it's like hiding your phone. Yeah. You know? Okay. So, so there's there's a couple of ways to do this. So I'll, I'll give you I'll, I'll break it down for you so you actually know how to do it. So there's two tools that I use. Um, one is called Hey Focus, and Hey Focus is actually Hey Focus is fantastic because it's free. You just download it, you install it, and so if it's eight o'clock at night, Hey Focus allows you to block distracting websites and apps. You can actually go in and you can say for it has a, a list of websites by default that it blocks, which are pretty much every website you could possibly think of that. Falls in, you know, Reddit, Facebook, Medium, all this stuff, which, you know, most of us spend a lot of time on these sites, you know, and don't get stuff done. And, and you can also you block certain apps. So if you want to, you could block the web browser. I don't block the web browser because I need access to Google Docs, which is, you know, what we use to work on my books. And you can, but I, you know, I block TweetDeck, for example. So you do that. And if it's eight o'clock at night, you can actually set how long you want to go into focus mode for. And they, they have what's called hardcore mode where you can't turn off Hey Focus. There's a mode where you can actually turn it off. The mode where you can turn it off is pointless in my mind because if you can turn it off, well, then that really doesn't do you any good because that means you could just play, I screwed, I want to get distracted, I'm going to turn this off. Whereas if you actually have it in hardcore mode, you're screwed for three hours. There's no accessing Facebook or email or anything. Turns out that what you'll find is that you really don't need access to your email every 15 minutes. Very few people in my mind need access to their email every 15 minutes. Like 
some of the most productive people in the world can get away with checking email once a day, the idea that you need your access to your email every 15 minutes is absolutely ridiculous. I always say that I'm not the president of the United States, and if World War III starts, I'm sure somebody will send me a text or give me a phone call. Uh, well, you won't get that text message notification anymore. Th- that's a good point, but I'm sure the bombs you know, going off outside of my window will probably be an indication something is wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, so what I'll do is you, know, you, you basically say, okay, if it's 8 o'clock at night and I don't want to be on email or any distracting websites until 10 or 11 in the morning, you set the block up for 13 to 14 hours. And so that way, when you wake up in the morning, no option to look at any of these things. So huh. that's, those are the two things I would say in terms of designing a day and being more productive. Okay. Well, I know that then you do do the thing where you leave your phone out of the bedroom or at least have mm-hmm. done that in the past. And I know that, that I'm, I, I'm guilty of that where I have used it as my – like I, I, I use it as like a sleep thing where right. it's like a sleep alarm and it wakes you up at like the optimal times and all that. That's kind of the excuse totally. I use. But, uh, and then if I use it, then it messes that up. So that's actually kind of a good barrier. But mm-hmm. it's still sitting right there first thing in the morning. I've gotten better at not reaching for it and just leaving it there and then walking out of the bedroom and going about mm-hmm. my morning routines. But you've actually left it out of the bedroom altogether. Yeah, I mean, I don't always succeed at that, but I, I do. Right. Um, and there's a reason for that. There's, there's a health reason for that. You know, as, as I talked about in the book, like, I, I deal with depression. Like, you know, I, I've had you know, moments of severe clinical depression. The more that I you know, was dealing with depression, the more I started to look deeply at sort of my digital habits because I wondered how much they played a role. And the more I started to read about this, I thought, this is really affecting you. So you know, Cal Newport talks about this. He says, you know, like, what you'll find is the less you use social media, the less you have all these apps, the less you're constantly walking around. He's like, you know, you're basically walking around with a slot machine in your pocket, like a slot machine that infinitely gives you a supply of dopamine. And you know Simon Sinek did some really interesting research on this, where he said, you know, you, you basically get this very inflated sense of connection and fulfillment, but the problem is it doesn't last. So you need more and more of it to get the same fulfillment, and then when it's cut off, you you go into sort of a spiral of despair. Part of dealing with depression is sleep. Sleep is critically important for people who have depression issues because that blue light from your phone keeps you up. And so if your sleep is disrupted, like the one thing that I can tell you is if I have a night of bad sleep, I'm totally screwed the next day. It's just, I, I am no longer a person who can function without sleep. It's one of the most important things. I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, people like Ariana Huffington wrote an entire book about sleep and, and you know, the research has shown sleep is, is this amazing tool that we don't necessarily look at as, um, something to enhance performance and productivity. But she said, you know, Andre Iguodala, who played for the Warriors, saw like a 30-point percent increase in his shooting percentage. I mean, this is like, you know, somebody who's on the, the NBA championship basketball team. Wait, they lost this last season. Sorry, I forgot <laughs> about that. But still, like somebody at that level finds sleep valuable, it makes you kind of think, okay, well, maybe there's something to this. So, so yeah, I, I do tend to leave it out of the, the room. If not, I have it, like it's, you know, I use this iPhone wallet thing, so it's completely covered. Um, yeah. Or you know another thing is to turn it f- flat on its face. So even if you use it as an alarm, that's fine. But you you don't want that blue light emitting from it so that you can see it. Like almost anybody who has looked at this will tell you the hour or so before you go to bed is really critical not to have you know sc- sc- screen time. Uh, I also don't turn on screens first thing in the morning. That's another thing I, I do is I'm not. That's why I don't read uh, Kindle books or, you know, on the iPad. Um, I'm very much still a physical book reader. I think there's something very special about physical books. And um, I think that they, they force you to slow down. Like, I don't think printed books are going anywhere because 
so here's the way I would think of it, right? Is this is maybe a good metaphor for this. Like you can listen to a CD and listening to a CD will never replace the experience of going to an actual concert and seeing the musician perform. It just won't. Right. There's, there's no way those two things are ever going to feel the same. And maybe it's a bold statement to say that's you know the difference between physical and digital books, but I, I don't know that we've gotten to the point where we can replicate the feeling of a book you know, um, with a digital device. And, and I think reading physical books also forces you to slow down. That's the real power to it. It's much more meditative in my mind. Yeah, and I believe somewhere I read some, you know, some internet article, as you do, that uh, said that your brain maps the words differently mm-hmm. when you're reading from a book that's, that's held in your hand, that's tan- like a tangible actual book versus yes. a tangible device. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe it. Like I feel like there's retention or there's, there's oh, my, connection my or something. My process is – largely analog you know like i write in the moleskin journal um i use this note card system that ryan holiday has written about where basically after i finish a book i wait two weeks then i go back and i look at all the things that i've underlined and highlighted and i transfer the things that are most relevant to me to note cards and i put them in in four by six note cards into a box you know which is totally old school and it seems ridiculous but i see why ryan does that i see the value in that now so you're, so you're talking about after as you've read something you're you're taking notes and you're putting them cuz I see you I see your Instagram feed and your you know. Yeah, so I don't I don't take notes. Um but no so I, I highlight like I underline stuff, but I'll usually what I do and literally like I said I can't take credit for this. So you there's a just do a search for the note card system and you'll find a post um written by Ryan Holiday about how this works. Um so what what I do is I I will go through and after a week or two after I've read the book, I'll go back because usually everything you highlight or underline is not worth putting onto a note card. But if there's a quote or if there's an idea or if, if it inspires an idea, I'll just throw it onto a note card and you know I'll refer back to it. So I have I literally have a box of four by six note cards on my desk uh, with dividers. You know, and some people say, oh, you could use Evernote to do the same thing. I, you know, Ryan is sworn by a, a physical version of doing this, and given the results that he's had in his life and his books and his work, I'm kind of like, <laughs> all right. And he learned it from Robert Greene, who also has done amazing work. So, you know, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, you know, this is somebody whose work I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and it is something I absolutely, that's why I've modeled it. I love that idea because it almost, in a sense, causes you to go back and relive the book again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I'll tell you one other story that Ryan told me from this, right? So Ryan had the idea for Obstacle is the Way four years before he wrote the book, and it was on one of his note cards. Oh, jeez. And that book sold 200,000 copies, so – that a whole idea of capturing the idea, you know, capturing the idea. Now, did he know that he had the idea? No, I mean, he couldn't. That's the other thing, right? Is like think of it this as planting seeds in your subconscious. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, unmistakable. The book that you've read is mapped out in surf metaphors. I had the idea for a book based on surf metaphors three years before that. Right. Like I can trace it back to one of my Moleskin notebooks. Like I have it. I can go find it, and I can probably point to the exact notebook that it came from. That's almost a separate through line, not just of <laughs> it, it, like if if you follow this, let's see if I can map this out here mentally while I'm looking at a wall. Um, one side of things is there's this path where you show up every day, mm-hmm. you consistently punch the resistance in the face and do the work anyway, and then there's this other thing where you're interacting and living a, a life that is 
creative in, in multifaceted ways in terms of you're trying new foods, you're reading good books, you're interacting with people in relationships, and you're capturing, but not in a data-driven way of like, mm-hmm. you know, ones and zeros, but in a that thought is interesting to me. I want to revisit that thought and you're cataloging that. And you're mm-hmm. and again, like you said, planting seeds. And so then as you're doing both those things, and there might even be a third thing, but I don't know. Maybe we'll get there. That those things eventually meet up in the end to where when you have that really awesome idea for a book four years ago, past you is now glad that there's a future you that's worked that that far along that other line of consistently showing up that they can now do that work towards creating that thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a medium post for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, one of the other things that I've noticed um, from watching you on Facebook, of all things, that's so such a strange thing to, to say as we're talking about <laughs> how Facebook is the devil, um, yeah. is that you've been talking about not just like you've been talking about the creative energy and and how you cultivate that and and not just by what you're doing but why you choose what you choose not to do which actually kind of wraps around back to what we kicked off the whole episode about um mm-hmm. saying no to the right things and or saying yes to the right things and no to pretty much everything um and i remember saying i remember not commenting rightly so on one of your posts because you said something about shallow work depleting your energy, like social media, emailing, texting, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I had a thought there, which was – see, here's me going back to an idea I earlier had, which was what if that is your day job? Like what if that's your work and you have to do that type of work? How do yeah. you – and I'm sure so, – so here's the person in me who thinks, okay, you as a writer and a podcaster don't get to just do writing and podcasting all day. I'm sure you have some people that you're working with that do some of the emailing and the social media and mm-hmm. the, all the, 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 admi- the admin stuff that, that yeah. is shallow work. But you probably have to do some of it too. How do you balance that? Or how, It's probably not even a balance. It's probably a how do you do that stuff but uh, then move back into the creative and the deep work that adds energy to yourself? Yeah, so I, I think that's a that's a great question, and uh, I am going to totally steal from Cal Newport on this. So Cal Newport described multiple philosophies for deep work, right? There's what he calls the monastic approach, which is you know um, you go and and for extended periods of time. This is how Adam Grant writes his books. Like when he's writing a book, he's pretty much unavailable. He'll take six or seven months while doing his job as a professor, like no social media, nothing. So the, monastic is is maybe not realistic for for most of us. There's then there's the sort of artist who goes into the woods and just camps out for a year and works on this thing. Again, not realistic for for most of us. But then there's what he calls a rhythmic philosophy. And the rhythmic philosophy is is basically carving out time every day that you say, okay, for three hours, I'm going to basically focus and I'm going to do deep work. For one hour, I'm going to check social media, whatever. So, you know, like I this morning had literally right before from seven till 10 or whatever, I, you know, was just working on, on my book outline. Yeah, I know after I get done with you, I have podcast to edit for next week. Those are the most important things I have to get done today. So I checked email, checked Facebook, checked Twitter. Before you and I started our conversation, I was like, okay, is there anything here that needs an immediate response? Done. Now I won't be able to check it again until three or four o'clock because I've blocked it because I'm kind of like, I've got, I know what I have to get done. That's essential. And so until four o'clock, there's no need to to deal with it. And there's nothing, like I said, that's going to blow up in my face by me not responding to an email today. So I, I think that's the approach you have to take is basically use focus blocks like 
and you know, maybe your focus block is an hour at a time. I think it has to be at a minimum an hour. I think it's hard to do if you're doing 15 minutes because it's just too much task switching. Yeah. And you know, that goes back to that whole residue thing. But yeah, I mean, if you would, you'll be amazed at what will happen if you block apps. Like I started doing this in like 45 minute spurts. That's how it started for me. Now I do longer and longer ones. And, you know, my days are so much better because of it. You know, like three hours. The other thing is I think if you if you don't spend all day, you know, task shifting and, and looking at tweets and social media, you will see how different you feel at the end of the day. And you'll be like, I like how this feels. You don't feel as as just cognitively drained the way you do. Go to Facebook, check it. Go to Twitter, check it. Check your email and repeat that cycle over and over again in five minutes. And the more you repeat that cycle, by the end of the cycle, you'll want to kill yourself. It'll maybe not that extreme, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. You'll, you will just be like on edge. It'll, it'll drive you to the point of anxiety. Like that's a recipe for anxiety. And the funny thing is we, we actually do this in very small ways. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say about it. You're describing me sometimes. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, because there are people out there who that, that is like – so for example, I do this show and then there's also my day job and mm-hmm. I work in social media. So I have a ton of social posts and emails yeah. and things and I do have those – you know the type of intervals where I check it. So I try to you – know, it's, it's that speed and immediacy of giving a response – when, mm-hmm. you know, as quickly as possible, balanced by not looking at it every five seconds because then I'm, one, staring at a screen and burning out my eyes. But two, right. like at the end of the day, even though I've maybe given a ton of responses to people, like I just feel like, what did I get done today? I don't well, even know. The other know. thing is that we think those responses are so critically important and yet they're not. You know, like the fate of the free world doesn't, you know. Um, depend on your ability to respond to somebody's Facebook message. Like, if you notice, one of the things that you'll see on my Facebook posts, I very rarely reply to comments. Mm, yeah, mainly because it's time consuming. <laughs> like, that, that's my 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 main issue with comments is that they consume time and energy. Um, I would much rather be working on the next thing I'm creating than replying to somebody's comment. Like, I you know I, I have you know a fairly substantial presence on Medium. And you know, some of my posts get a lot of comments. I couldn't tell you what half the comments are from the last probably four months. And if you look at the the you know, better writers on Medium, none of them respond to their comments. Like Ben Hardy, uh, who's, who's you know a friend of mine now, probably the most write, read writer on all of Medium. He doesn't respond to comments. There's no way he could do that. He wouldn't be able to produce what he does if he spent all his time replying to comments. Yeah, no way. So like how you described today where you had done certain things this morning and then you had certain things blocked out for now, mm-hmm. do you feel like <laughs> – I think you probably do feel like when, when a podcast interview goes really well, you feel like that's energy giving. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. then sometimes even that carries over into like podcast editing where you're re-listening yeah. to something and you're – and again, it's almost like reliving. It's almost totally. like rereading the book and the note cards but when yep. you edit your show, right? Yeah, I, I still do all my own editing and um, actually, that, let me correct that. I still do the review of it. I choose because if you play an unmistakable creative episode, you'll know like right when you press play, the first thing you hear is a teaser, and the teaser is what we call a magic moment, like the you know in our mind the most poetic part of the show, and that's the first thing we want people to hear because we're like the moment they hear that, they're like now I need to figure out how you got to that. Um, and so that's entirely by design. So I can't outsource that. That has to come from me. So I do that. I choose where all the ad inserts go and the timestamps and all that. And then I hand it off to a guy in India who's actually doing a really good job for us. So cool. 
but you feel like you know because you've you've got those moments in your day where you know mm-hmm. you you've almost got those moments to look forward to to say oh I don't just have to do that I get to do that later yeah and when yeah. I've oh. done it I'm gonna feel better having done it than not yes absolutely all right well our time's basically up that. I don't like that our time is up, but uh, at some point here, you're going to have to come back on and we'll just jump into a bunch of other topics. Totally. So uh, let's point everybody to, you know, the standard stuff. Like where can they find your show, the book, et cetera? Sure. Um, book you can find on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well as Audible if you happen to be a fan of audiobooks. It's called Unmistakable Why Only is Better Than Best. You know, the podcast you can find uh, on, in iTunes. Just do a search for Unmistakable Creative or visit UnmistakableCreative.com. I gotta ask: Is the audiobook read by you? Yes, it is. Then, um, you, I thought it would be really weird, given that you know um, people know my voice, to have somebody else read it. Yes, that's, that is interesting. Yeah, if a podcaster suddenly had an audiobook that wasn't read by them, would be would be mistakable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, Srini. It's been awesome talking with you. Thanks for being on the show. Let's make it happen again sometime soon. Hopefully, not. Let's not wait until the next book. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm happy to come back anytime. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. I know that I did. I got a lot out of this myself. In fact, I'm still kind of unpacking it myself and figuring out ways to set up the distraction blockers ahead of time and even block out the right times of day, the right ways for me to do which types of work at what times of day, and to just ultimately get over the resistance or honestly, not necessarily to get over it so much as get stronger and stronger to quiet it and put it alone, in its box, out of the way, in a corner, in a closet, etc. And so I really hope that you enjoyed this. Again, you can find the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 154. And you can find the free videos and downloadable checklists from AWeber over at aweber.com slash to do. I know that a lot of times people will say, you just need to sit down and do the work. But sometimes taking the time to pick up that one free resource and read through it and get a clarity on what it is that the next step is for you can help as well. I don't always recommend that, but in this case, sometimes that does cause a breakthrough. So if you're looking to create something online, like a YouTube video or an online course or a podcast, or you're wanting to market it with Facebook ads or creating shareable images for your site or for social media, head on over to aweber.com slash to do and grab those free resources those free videos, those downloadable checklists, and get started and do that work. aweber.com slash to do. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you got something out of this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash iTunes. Leave us a rating and or a review. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks again. I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.